Imagine this. You're an award-winning parent. Yeah, that's a thing. You won it by writing funny stories about being a parent under the name Exploding Unicorn. Not to mention your very popular Star Wars parody account, Very Lonely Luke. Your work isn't just appreciated by fellow parents, though. You've also been featured by College Humor and Nine Gag, which probably helps to explain the over 1.5 million people who follow you on social media. Not bad for a dad. So who are you? And what changed the game for you? Let's find out. You're listening to Game Changers, the podcast series with Brittle Star. Today's guest, James Breakwell. Hey, James, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's super exciting. Your voice sounds so much better now than it did the last time we were in each other's company. <laughs> you probably like me better though, because you couldn't understand me. Well, that I was you... awful. I uh, that was the biggest crowd I'd ever spoken in front of, and right. uh, my voice was completely gone for days. Yeah. I thought I was going to come back, and it didn't. It just it. it... So that was back in uh, February of 2018, and uh, you and I were speaking at an event called Dad 2.0. And every time I say that, I have to say, just like I said in the intro for you, yeah, that's a thing. People <laughs> never believe me. And I, yeah, you know, it's a real thing. Um, yeah. But you spoke, and you had this uh, tremendously terrible uh, cold or something in your throat, whatever it was. And yeah, you, it was. I think it was a curse from the gods, is what that was. was. <laughs> they were wow. trying to tell me you need to not speak to people, and I powered through anyway. But you were really engaging, though. I thought you were really, really funny. And uh, I mean, I don't. I only actually, you know, to be totally honest, I didn't have that much of, uh, you know knowledge of your stuff prior to that time until sort of shortly beforehand and uh which is the funny way that social media works you can have like a a billion followers but there's still people who don't know necessarily what you do um but you went up and i was like this guy's funny like he's a really funny guy so i mean when you think back to uh actually it's gonna have a quick quick side point here and i may not include this in in the edit but (laughs) it's just a really funny thing to me i was just i was talking to my wife today about how uh, you had spoken, and then uh, the, there's another gentleman bet- in between us who will remain nameless, and uh, mainly because I can't remember his name. And <laughs> then I spoke at the end, and yours was funny, and then his was heart-wrenching tale of like terrible childhood, yeah. terrible sadness and tragedy. And I turned to you when he finished, and I said, yours was funnier. <laughs> oh yeah Any, anytime a man goes up on stage and he starts to you know tear up you know you're you're in trouble it was a very it was a very good speech it was, it was very great. heartwarming yeah but um yeah like you and i were coming at it from the comedy angle it's hard yes. to segue out of that i actually uh uh the indie star asked me to MC something the other day and i didn't take it all that seriously because i was doing it for free so i figured right. out you get what you pay for but yeah. i went up there and so it was like a, a parenting storyteller thing and i thought i can i can be funny on the fly i do this on my <laughs> podcast and stuff and oh my god those were the worst transitions i've ever had to do every single parent teared up it was they were all like they had individually funny parts but like they were all you know so intense and then i get up there for like 10 seconds and it was like i i know what it feels like to bomb now i mean the good news is I'm usually on social media so I'm not used to people laughing so like the right. silence or kind of the muted laughter was like a, a, my comfort zone but yeah. at the same time I could tell like I'm I'm not going to be asked back here this is this is it well if it makes you feel any better I saw the gent who did the speech after yours I saw a video of him at another event doing the exact same speech with the exact same emotions so Whoa. really I think that uh, you know what I mean I think that that's uh, that's fair I'm not I'm not making any judgment here but Dude, I'm just saying a couple of jokes 
Hicks didn't hurt. I have to. I have to know though. Um, he he specifically said that he had never told that story before. I know. I need to find the dates because I remember him saying that, and I remember thinking to myself, "Wait a minute!" When I saw the video, I was like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> I don't know if he just carefully edited out the first part of the speech or the first part of this talk where he says, "I've never told this story before." It was very sad. Anyway, he's. Uh, I was gonna say he's a nice enough guy. Yeah, he, he was a great guy. Yeah, he's fine. He's totally fine. And I mean, thank goodness I don't have to tell sad stories because I couldn't do it. Just, <laughs> just no, no good for me. Um, so yeah, so you do so much stuff. I mean, you're obviously a writer. I think I remember you and I talking, and you said you started actually writing, uh, and as part of your talk, actually, you started writing uh, for a newspaper. Is that right? Yeah, that's where I started out ages ago. I wrote for a college newspaper, and then I went and wrote for a regular newspaper, and I quit in a year. I just I got the heck out of there. I've never right. abandoned a lifelong yeah. aspiration so fast. So I mean, you wanted to be a newspaper writer, you know, for a long time, and then when you eventually got there, you're like, nah, I'm not doing this. I really didn't want to be a newspaper reporter. I wanted to be a comedy writer. I wanted to be the next right. Dave Barry, but I didn't put any research into how Dave Barry became Dave Barry, and that right. was that was not the right way. But uh, it turned out like um, there were a few things I liked about being in the newsroom. There wasn't a ton of oversight, and you will never encounter more sarcasm than you get in a newsroom where oh, yeah. where everybody's like jaded and the industry's yeah. failing. And it's just <laughs> it's just the, the best gallows humor. But the difference between me and them is they've got like this gallows humor, and that's like a thin veneer over their like design desire to save the world and right. I just had the sarcasm I didn't have the deeper <laughs> desire to save anything I'm like I just want to write jokes guys and that's and if you don't have that deeper desire to save the world when people start screaming at you over minor yeah. stories that don't matter at all it's like yeah I'm I'm out of here this is not worth it at yeah, all it's not a good fit not a good fit so then you went in from there you just went into did you go straight to social media after that or what did you well do? I, uh, I I went and just got a regular nine to five job in a cubicle somewhere I'm sorry right. if you can hear that pig in the background she Honking yeah, up a storm there. You mentioned that you had a pig, and I, you know, it's. I remember the 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 TV show American Housewife had a pig as a as a sort of side character for like the second season, and I'm I'm going to say to you the same thing. It's not working. <laughs> that pig is the most popular member of my you gotta family. Re, she, you got to recast the pig. She definitely is working. But um, <laughs> what were we talking? Oh yeah, I saw. So I, I got this job in the cubicle, and I just thought I'm gonna I'm gonna write on the side. I'm gonna try to get to the point where I can do you know get paid for this right. by building up an audience on my own. So I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I blogged forever, and that went nowhere, and it was super right. long. There was a ton of free material out there, and then I switched to Twitter, and Twitter is where I finally started to gain some traction. People mm-hmm. like me much better in small doses. Right. Thousand word blog posts were a no go, but. 140 characters people were okay with that it's a, it's really like uh i mean certainly you know my experience you know starting off in vine and stuff where it was so short and uh, uh you know i said actually just this past week uh, on another uh, live stream uh, for a show called geeks and beats and they were saying you know how long were vines i said 6.4 seconds and they said 0.4 ha 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 and they all laughed and i said yeah but 0.4 seconds is like 15 to 20 percent of your content those <laughs> you're like really you know aware of what was happening in that half a second um but i mean it's certainly it's certainly a skill uh, as a writer to be able to convey your message i think and obviously you're doing that super super well so here's my question for you and this is why we're we've got you on this podcast series called game changers What was, you know, what do you think was the first game changing moment for you where you thought to yourself, oh, I can do this or, oh, I shouldn't be doing this? 
I uh, I had a lot of incremental steps. Probably the first the first step I had where I thought, oh, this might be it. This could be the key. Was was the most low key event ever. I was at my in laws' house and we were trying to get the kids fed or something or another. And I had Twitter pulled up and I had no idea how you got from zero followers to more than zero followers. Like that right. baffled me. Right. And I saw people out there with like two hundred followers and I was like, wouldn't that be incredible if yeah. two hundred people saw everything I wrote? And then I, you know, knowing now, like if you have two hundred followers like eight people see what you write but I didn't know yeah. that that I thought yeah. 200 followers would be this awesome number if I get there and then I was just I followed a few comedy accounts and they followed me back and in like 10 minutes I got up to 20 followers and I was like right. holy cow this is this is the path this is what I'm <laughs> going to do and that was and that was when I started down the road and I mean it was you know it was a very slow grind after that probably the first time I experienced big success mm-hmm. uh, was when somebody else took one of my jokes and it exploded uh, right the uh, there was this uh, magazine from Australia and they took a screen cap of my top tweet. I mean, they left my name on it, but it was just a screen cap, no yeah, active yeah. link back to me. And they put it on Facebook, and it got half a million likes. Crazy, half a million likes. And this yeah. was this was years ago when yeah. <laughs> things didn't go viral as fast. I to this yeah. day, I've never had anything get that many likes. But it didn't like drive any traffic back to me at all. I was, right, right. <laughs> it was uplifting and devastating yeah. at the same time. I was yeah. like, okay, so my content is good. Yeah. But I'm not making any money off of it or benefiting in any way. Somebody right. else is benefiting. Okay, I see how the internet works. <laughs> That's exactly it. I mean, it's the whole sort of imaginary internet points, right? It's like the old days of uh, posting something, getting really on the front page of Reddit or something. It's yeah. like, hey, that's a bragging point, but it doesn't do anything whatsoever. Exactly. And it's so funny that you can have two things explode and get the same, same number of likes and same exposure, and one of them will change your life, and one of them will do nothing for you. And it's right. it's so hit or miss. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So tell me, I, I mean, in that moment when you're you're hanging at your in-laws and you're you're on Twitter, what was like? What was the what was the the, the revelation that you had? Like, what was that sort of game-changing revelation you had? Uh, I realized it was a game. I think mm-hmm. was what sunk into my head. It was we're, we're we're all playing a game, and you've just got to learn the rules, and you've got to learn what rules you can bend, and you got to learn what rules you can break, and you can work your way up. and uh, And that's what I did for the for the next several years. I played the game, and the and the rules they they constantly change. I mean, the yeah. things I did starting out, you can't really do anymore. Nobody follows mm-hmm. back anymore, so that's right. out right off the bat. Uh, but but yeah, at every stage, I kind of followed it, and it's it's funny because you'll see people out there, and they they call themselves social media experts and they'll advise you on what to do and what not to do and you look at them and they got like 2,000 followers yeah 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 yeah. you don't know what's going on you can't learn this in a college class you can't learn this from some expert you learn it by being in there and grinding every day day in and day out there was another guy I kind of partnered with uh, halfway up as we kind of experimented with what worked and what didn't and and Mm -hmm. and I think we really I, I I think we we kind of took it more seriously than everybody else did. And that's, but I mean, underneath it all, I mean, the only reason I was able to put that much time in is I liked writing jokes. I liked writing those kind of jokes and then, you know, doing all that stuff around the jokes that made it worthwhile. I think if I had been like tweeting out links to baseball games or something like that, I would have lost interest real quick because it was something I loved underneath that. I was able to put in all the extra time to make it work. Which is interesting. I mean, I think that's one of the uh, uh, common themes in this series of talking to people is that, um, you know, whatever it is you're doing, you, you have to kind of really enjoy it. Um, and you have to really be into it because you have to do it a lot in order for opportunity to hit, basically. Yeah. When I look back at how long it took me to go from doing that stuff to getting to the point where, uh, where I made money, it's, it's, it's depressing. <laughs> and that's right. why I, I right. look at people who are like, I'm going to go and be a comedy writer or I'm going to be an author and right. they just quit their job and they do it. I'm like, 
oh my, what are you doing? What are yeah. you thinking? I mean, I, it took me over a decade from like, you know, start the starting point to where I am now to get to where I was getting any kind of reliable income. Mm-hmm. And I think I, people who do that, they're just setting themselves up for failure. If you say, sure. I'm going to sink or swim, yeah. you're probably going to drown. You're going to go to the edge of the pool and you're never going to get back in. But like the reason I was going to make it is I had a steady job and right. I was squeezing this in. I just figured out I didn't need to sleep. And uh, I could have kept going forever. I mean, if I had not, if I had not taken off, if I had never gone viral, and if I was still grinding, I th- for zero dollars a day, I would still be doing exactly what I'm doing now. And if it took 20, 30, 40 years, yeah, I would just keep going. You couldn't, you couldn't starve me out. I had a day job, so I was right, good to right, go. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, so, what was it that made you feel like that was like a like a game changing moment? Then, when you were looking, you realized it was a, you realized social media or Twitter was a game. And you thought, okay, now is was it because uh, you know the the platform was new, or was it because you thought, oh, this is a good outlet for me, or what made you think, oh, this is something I should pay attention to? I actually got to it really late, so I think Twitter came out in 2007, and I didn't get mm-hmm. on until 2012. Now, granted, I think the early years it was pretty well unrecognizable for what it is now, yeah, for sure. Um, but but like just the the follower count, even getting up to 20 followers. I mean, my blog didn't have 20 consistent readers after all that time. I mean, I would have to go out there and and really promote it. And every once in a while, I get a big rush of traffic, like 30,000 people. But then the next day, it would all go away. But the fact that I got 20 people at once, I was like, oh, this this is what's going to make a difference. And Mm -hmm. and over time, I learned that a lot of the people I was getting were not the kind of people I needed to be getting anyway. There were so many hard lessons I learned along the way. But by the time I learned it, I'd finally built up that critical mass uh, for things to spread. I think that the biggest benefit of Twitter uh, was it let you succeed on a large scale and fail on a small scale. It was really right. built for joke writers. If you tell a joke and it's great, people retweet it and it spreads. Yeah. If you tell a joke and it's awful, people just scroll by it and nobody sees it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, exactly. the, that's the perfect That's plan. the dream. Yeah. <laughs> that's the comedy dream. So is it, I mean, do you have to be, do you think, you know, you have to be really attuned to these types of moments? Because I try to take these different sort of game-changing moments for that people, different people have had. Um, who have now gone on to, you know, success and found success from these moments um, and tried to sort of like almost like reverse engineer them a little bit so that, you know, people who are listening to this series might go, okay, now what do I, am I, am I missing a game changing moment? Like, is there anything that you, do you have to pay special attention to these things? Like when you were having that moment about Twitter, was it something specific that you think back to now and you go, oh yeah, it's because I was really attuned to this or I was, I really wanted this to happen or I was already doing this or whatever? I made it happen a couple times. So first my stuff went viral when people were stealing it. So I knew it was the right Right. kind of content. Then I went viral with my very lonely Luke account. So I went viral as a pretend Jedi. And then finally, you know, six months later, I went viral under my own account. So I kind of worked out a formula. But but looking back now, I almost feel like when I explain it, when I try to reverse engineer it, I I guess I'm I'm looking at the results and then trying to explain them, which is the opposite of how science works. Whereas you put out those conditions, then you repeat it because I've got two accounts to explode. And thankfully, one of those was under, you know, my own face and my own name. So that's that's what made all the difference. But I've had a lot of other accounts that I thought were going to take off and they didn't go anywhere. Right. (laughs) So and and I can't tell you for sure what the difference was, but I I guess um, 
it, it's it's figuring out what people want and get, mm-hmm. getting to be the best at doing that thing and delivering a lot of it. I think that those are the, the bottom line conditions. Um, you know, when I started out tweeting, I wasn't just writing kid jokes, but kid jokes were what people like. So I started writing all kid jokes and I got right. really, really good at writing those. I don't know that I'm the best kid joke writer out there, but when you think of my name, either when you think of kid jokes, now you think of me, you know, right. except for you because you didn't know who I was. But for, for, for a large well, chunk of other people, they do. <laughs> yeah, I have a huge ego, though. I have a massive ego and I pay very little attention to anyone else except myself. Uh, but I mean, you know, was it was it the drive to, um, uh, you know, to, to, to write or to be funny that sort of kept you going? Or was it just uh, like what was the main impetus to, to like putting in all those hours to, to building and trial and error and these accounts and stuff? I like to be funny and I'm not necessarily so funny in the in person. I don't necessarily like to go up on stage and I do think that. You're all so. right. So comedy writing uh, was a good outlet for me. I mean, I started back in high school just sending emails to people. Right. They, they didn't ask for them. I just sent them unsolicited. And I think they're very <laughs> – to this day, I'm still on a lot of those people's spam list. But I, right. I, I'd always been doing it. So that, that appealed to me. And uh, I kind of worked that together with the idea that I didn't want to die in a cubicle, that I was going to get out. Right. And I was going to support myself with this some, somehow. And so when you're going to that cubicle every day, that's a really powerful motivator, mm-hmm. especially when I figured out – that in that cubicle, I could also tweet. And that was, right. that was another game-changing moment. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. I can do two jobs at once. Right. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it, what's really interesting to me is that, uh, you know, a, a few, more than a few of the people we've spoken to have basically said they were kind of one-minded about what they wanted to do. They might not necessarily know exactly uh, where they would end up, but they were driven. So, you know, either they wanted a record deal or they wanted to, uh, you know, they, they wanted to be on TV or whatever, that type of thing. Um, so what what was like the the main drive was just basically sort of writing for you? Was that sort of the main thing that kept you going? Or as, I mean, as at the same time, though, as an aside to that question as well, um, you know, they those people, as we mentioned before, you mentioned before, uh, they actually just stopped doing everything else. Like that's all they did was focus on this oh. one thing. No, I'm I'm the opposite of that. I just mm. I just do a million. I, I never stop doing anything. I just do them all at once. Uh, right. My my holy grail for writing was books, and uh-huh. I'm still not. I mean, I've I've got the the whole reason I reached out to you to attention for myself is I got another book right. coming out in November. Uh, my second one, Bare Minimum Parenting: The Ultimate Guide to Not Quite Ruining Your Child, and then my first yeah. book after I went viral was. Only dead on the inside, a parent's guide to surviving the right. zombie apocalypse. But my, my, in my ideal scenario, I would support myself entirely off books. Right. Now that's right. Uh, that's a hard thing to do in it this day is. and age, and I, I and I hope I get to that point some point. Um, but like along the way, I never really set out to be a social media influencer. I kind of saw mm-hmm. it as a means to an end, like uh, mm-hmm. kind of reverse engineering that book deal, rather than just you know sending a bunch of uh, you know letters to publishers and agents. It's like I'm going to get an audience, and then the the agents will come to me and, the, and that's the way it kind of worked yeah, out. Yeah. But uh, I never really had an intermediate step of make a bunch of money advertising products like that yeah, wasn't yeah, a yeah. step in between. But yeah. That's kind of where I am now. And um, the advertising money, to be honest, it scares me because right. I because I don't control social media. I don't know what, you yeah. know, there have been other platforms that have collapsed. You know, there was a time when blogging ads paid a ton of money sure. and overnight it went away. It's uh, if you talk to people who were around in those days, it was yeah. like the, the ad apocalypse. Yeah. And, and I, it makes me nervous. So I would like to, to feel secure, you know, raising four kids and putting them through college. Yeah. I would love it if I get to the point where I just supported myself off books. But right now it's a mix of books and then there's the social media income doing the advertising and things like that. 
I always think, you know, one of my things I always think to myself is the various stuff I've done, and I've been self-employed since I was 19, and I always sort of find, you know, sometimes things will happen, I'll, I'll be successful in an area that I'm not necessarily, wasn't, I wasn't really aiming for, um, and I always think to myself, well, don't rail against your own success, just like, you know, capitalize on exactly. it and move on to the next thing. Um, so let's say, you, you know, let's just talk about the fact that you've got the success on, you've built these accounts on Twitter, and they're, they're getting lots of attention, and then... Your, you know, the decision or the opportunity to write a book was that did that arise of like a moment? Was there something that sort of came up where you thought, okay, this is my chance to do this, or what was the the, the moment there? So I had uh, gone viral with Very Lonely Luke, and I got up to three hundred fifty thousand followers in mm. a couple of weeks, and I thought that might be That's my amazing. book deal, but it wasn't. But I had a, my main account, my uh, at Exploding Unicorn without the E account, that had had like two hundred thousand followers. So mm. I kept grinding in that as well, and then that one went viral off a BuzzFeed article. I'd been on them on their list before, but there was never an article just about me. And the magical right. thing about that article was they they posted a bunch of my tweets, and every tweet had a quick clickable link back to me. And if right. you follow that you got more jokes exactly like the ones that they put on there yeah uh and that is what made the difference i gained i think a hundred thousand followers in a weekend and um by by monday or tuesday i was getting emails from around the world and by the end of the month i had a book deal i mean my the, the agent i landed emailed me within a day or two of that and i ended up I, I locked in him and then i ended up turning down four other agents who contacted wow. me after that so so yeah it all happened fast so i knew i was gonna i, I wanted to do a book out of that I, I didn't end up writing the book they wanted me to write i I wrote a different book, so I had to be difficult about it, but uh, it, turned, it turned out pretty well. Uh, I did well enough, so I got that book deal. Then I got this other book coming out in November, and then I just uh, just worked out another two-book deal for some guided journals. So so, so far, so good. They haven't cut me off. And that, that's always my big fear is what, one book will do so badly that they'll just be like, no more. You're out of here. But so far, one book's led to the next, so well, I'm, I'm pretty I mean, fortunate. That's amazing. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, uh, you know, when you get that, you've got BuzzFeed who are uh, posting your – your your content and linking back to you is that sort of like when that happened are you were you thinking to yourself okay now here we go or or did it not really hit until it hit type of thing I don't know if I'll, I'll ever have that. Well, here we go moment. Cause mm -hmm. I've thought that so many times in my life and it really mm -hmm. wasn't, uh, it really wasn't. It doesn't it. have. Yeah. But I guess, I guess the, the great revelation I've had through all of this is there's no such thing as a walk off home run. There's right. no such thing as that you, 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 you're so successful that you've just made it and, and you're, you're done. I mean, for a while there after I went, uh, you know, I went viral every time I heard my email thing, I got excited. Cause it could be another life changing opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And now I'm mean, at the point I get that email things. I'm like, oh, more work. Like these, these, <laughs> these things that were one time like my dream are now they're they're just their job, their their everyday life. Yeah. And it's I'm really lucky to be able to do that. But uh, you know, at the same time, it, it is work, it is what I do now. So um what was the question? <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, wait. Well, I think you're really I mean, what's what's great is that I think that you've you've you know, I think you're spot on when you said there's no walk-off home runs, and that's certainly been a that's certainly been a, a common theme uh, talking to people about these game-changing moments. Because I think from the outside, <clears throat> excuse me, I think from the outside people think that these moments are like these. Oh my God, it's all turning around for me, and or it's suddenly the doors are open or whatever. And it doesn't seem to usually happen that way. One of the you know the common themes has been that uh, for opportunity to hit. Um, you've got to be in motion already. You've got to be actually yeah. be doing something. Uh, and then that same idea, I mean, the idea, you know, what you brought up with the no, there are no walk off home runs, that idea that you don't, you never get an opportunity where you're just going to get something landing in your lap and that's going to be enough for you forever. 
Exactly. And even, you know, this this year has been a really good year for me from the books and the advertisements mm. and all that. And every time I get it, it just uh, it's never like, oh, good. Now I'm secure and now I'm done. It's, you know, OK, let's 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 stockpile this and keep going because we don't know what's going to happen next right. year. That, yeah, that's that whole that whole transition to the self-employed mindset. That's a oh, whole different yeah. whole different world to get used to. So and I guess you've you've lived in it forever. So maybe it's not so scary for you. For me, right. it's terrifying. Still, yeah, no, it's still still terrifying for sure. It is. I was actually uh, Jonathan Torrens, who's an actor and a writer who I spoke to just a couple weeks ago for the series. And he was saying really something really great. He said that uh, as someone who's a freelancer, as he'd referred to himself, um, essentially for same as self-employed, is that there's two stages of life, which is work or worry. That's the only two stages you have. <laughs> and he said it took him a long time to realize that he has to add a third one in there, which is just live. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know to actually remember to do that. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, when you're when you are self-employed or freelance that you have to uh, there's lots of freedoms. There's lots of amazingness that comes along with that and a lot of uh, perks. Uh, but at the same time, there's also a lot of times, exactly as you said, where you're thinking, oh, my God, I mean, this is a great windfall, but is it going to carry us? Is it all going to dry up next week? Exactly. You know what I mean? And, yeah, that the, there's always that fear. And um, I don't know where I was going with that either. It's uh, I, You got me all discombobulated thinking sorry, about the, fe- the fears of self-employment. Sorry, now you're sorry, in my sorry. head. I'm, I'm going to go stay up all night tonight staring a, at my ceiling. And you're in the fetal stare. position currently cuddling with your pig right now, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah, that, I wish she would come back and cuddle. She is. She has left the room. She's decided that I'm too. Uh, I'm well, too she, animated right now. I'm disturbing her beauty sleep. Unfortunately, it's the first time she's heard you talk about your career, and she's decided, "Oh my God, he doesn't know what he's doing." Yeah, that, she's realized I'm exploiting her for profit. That's that's <laughs> what she's realized. Oh, I remember where I was going with that. So, one of the other thoughts I had, one of the reasons I really wanted to make a living off of book writing in mm-hmm. particular, was like, I don't, I don't want a boss. I want to be kind of right. in charge of my own destiny. But I, as I've gone through this journey, I've realized there's no such thing as as not having a boss even even if you're just dealing with something as straight as twitter where there's no gatekeepers i mean the mob is kind of your boss you've got to cater to them yeah and if you cross them it's not just i guess back before i I was so serious about things to be like well you know what forget you guys i don't owe you anything yeah now it's like oh i kind of owe my livelihood to you i need to i need to keep you happy yeah and then it's the same thing with you know when you write a book you've got to sell it to a publisher and then that publisher is kind of your boss Mm -hmm. or like with advertising advertisements, you know, it's chances are you're not going to have one advertisement deal that takes you the whole year. You're going to have, you know, 10 or 15 smaller deals. And each one of those, you have like 10 bosses there in each of their levels of management. Yeah. And, uh, and I think one of the reasons they've been able to wor- make this work is uh, I come from that background of, okay, I'm, <laughs> I, I know what it's like to be in a company. I know what constraints you're under. Let's, let's make this work. Right. And I, I think I, I, I've seen other freelancers have trouble with that. They don't, they just want to be out there lone wolfing it and doing it on your own. But if you're really going to be successful, Successful, you have to you have to play by the rules, even if you're playing under 15 sets, different sets of rules throughout yeah. the year. I think you know you know it's with um, people who are involved in in social media or or publishing or uh, those types of uh, industries. They're more aware of the mechanics, especially social media. They're more aware of the mechanics of the machine than someone who's just just creative. Yeah. Uh, not to say that they're any better or worse than that. Uh, you know, I always think back to a conversation I had with uh, a friend of mine who was leading. He invited me to this improv center in Vancouver, <clears throat> and uh, he was hosting the show. And after the show, I got to hang out with the cast, and it was great. And they're all incredibly talented and amazing. And they were all talking about their craft and how to emote and how to get <laughs> how to be how to be better actors and that type of thing. And it's like this is really honorable, you know, thing to do. This is amazing. 
uh, but I said to them, what's really weird is that whenever I'm talking to other people who do social media, we're talking about like, you know, uh, ratios and algorithms and, you know, when did, how many likes did you get in the first minute and that type of stuff? And, and you just have to kind of be more aware of that. So I was thinking, you know, thinking back to your, you know, wanting to be a writer, of course, now you're a writer who also is vastly aware of a whole other industry that didn't exist that long ago. Yeah. And I, looking back, I, I always rip on college saying I didn't really learn much there, but I, I guess social media has been the biggest teacher. And that's mm-hmm. another thing. I guess kids now go to school for, you can major in social media. And right. I, I can't think of anything that's a bigger waste because there's no way that social media stays the same long enough to write a textbook. There's, so there's no way it changes day to day. Even I'll give yeah. you an example. Facebook, Facebook is uh, really powerful for advertising, mm-hmm. but because I cross post, I, I take a joke and I put it on, uh, you know, on Twitter and then right. on Facebook and sometimes on Instagram and on Pinterest and on Tumblr. And I know approximately how it should do on each one, even if one's twice as big as the other. And, you know, so my Facebook numbers all of a sudden one day got cut by a third or a quarter (laughs) and they've never really gone back. And I look at it and I'm like, that wasn't a bad joke. I can see every place else that did the same. And that's just because Facebook has its fingers on the scale. It's doing what it wants with the algorithm. So I guess it's very humbling. You realize it's like the small boat on the ocean. You realize you're not always in control. Yeah. You might you might be going the direction you want to go, but you always have to respect the sea. So I that's why I've made sure to really diversify. And here lately, I've been pushing big into uh, the email list. I guess that's the last bastion, you know. But yeah, nobody can take away the email yeah. list. So I'm trying to get everybody on that one, which is really interesting because I mean, it, you know, email marketing was a huge thing. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, uh, when we were doing stuff online, and. Uh, people stopped doing it because you couldn't get through to people's inboxes anymore. But I guess maybe you can now. Yeah, I think it's kind of gone full circle. And again, the first way I ever reached people before I'd ever heard of what a blog was, I was just emailing 20 random people I knew. And now I've gone full circle. And once a week I send out a uh, basically a big, long, funny article like I used to write. And uh, but, you know, now it reaches thousands of people rather than 20. But it's it's the same thing. And I actually that of everything I do right now, I think that's the part I enjoy the most. That's super Uh, interesting. Getting through like that. So and, and I actually. Actually, I... I knew I was supposed to, but I didn't actually take that final step till after Dad 2.0. One of the yeah. one of the workshops I went to there was somebody right. who was making a living off an email list that compared to the numbers of social media and everything else you see everywhere, you don't need a million Twitter followers or a million YouTube right. followers to make a living off your your email list. Like you can you're talking in the tens of thousands. I'm right. like, holy cow, I've been I've been I putting can... my emphasis in the wrong spot. <laughs> your emphasis. Um, so for people who aren't necessarily involved in social media, just whatever they're involved in. Um, do you think there are any ways to create game changing moments? You have to put yourself out there. Um, I guess what I do after I write a great joke is I write another joke. Mm-hmm. And what I do after I write a terrible joke is I write another joke. Right. No matter what happens, I keep going. And that's mm-hmm. and I think that ultimately made the difference. You've just got to keep taking those chances. You're never going to go viral if you, if you don't have content out there. And I think it's very easy to get discouraged, to, to say you're not making any money off this, to say nobody's yeah. reading it, and to just stop. And that's the worst possible thing you can do. I mean, I've, I've got so many different branches of things I do, and they, I just keep doing them. 
and and randomly one will take off. You know, web comics are a good example. I made web comics for years, and for a while I would make a few cents off ads on the side, and I finally mm-hmm. stopped doing that because it was a waste. And I just kept making the web comic, and then all of a sudden when I got my first book deal, those web comics were getting published alongside my alongside the text in the book, and now uh, Instagram, I'm putting on Instagram, and now it's causing all of my growth there is just these simple stick figure comics. Right. Uh, I'm doing podcasts now, and those podcasts don't make me any money, and they take a lot of time. But it's yeah. the same thing. I just keep doing them, and then yeah. all of a sudden, with my first and second book, um, the publishers came to me and they said, "We want you to record your own audiobook because we heard right. you talking on your podcast." So just they they sometimes lead to income in ways you wouldn't expect. Yeah, I think that. I mean, that, again, that goes back to that whole idea that everyone seems to have is that you have to be in motion. You always yes. have to be doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, this is great. I mean, incredibly talented uh, and uh, very very funny and, uh, and and a nice guy to boot, which is great. I, I don't. I wouldn't go that far. Well, <laughs> fairly nice. I mean, we've only we've only been in each other's company briefly, but you were okay. You're pretty All right, good. That's intolerable. <laughs> we didn't get in a fist fight or anything. No exactly. acid was thrown, so we're okay. So tell me, uh, so people, you're most. Uh, sorry, no, I'm sorry. Tell people what you're most excited about currently. Your, I imagine your newest book coming out is the most exciting thing currently. Yes, yes. Bare minimum parenting: the ultimate guide to not quite ruining your child. <laughs> and it's just, uh, it, it kind of takes the traditional parenting book and turns it on its head. Uh, every, it seems like all the parenting wisdom out there right now is mm-hmm. how can I work harder to give my kid an advantage? How can I overachieve? Right. Uh, but if you look at us as adults, I mean, where are these perfect adults that came from these perfect children? Like, I think you get to our age and we're all kind of just mediocre. We all kind of <laughs> average out over time and you can't figure out whose mom breastfed or whose who's dad stayed home with or any of that. No. It all just mixes together. So if it doesn't matter, if we all end up mediocre anyway, my, I came at it from the opposite angle. I said, what is the, what's the least you can do to still have a passable kid in society to, to achieve that <laughs> mediocrity? And that's the whole premise of this book. And it was so much fun to write just to see how little you could get away with. And I, after kind of go, going through the, the mental exercises, I kind of decided it might actually be better for your kid if yeah. you do less. I mean, I don't, I don't know that people who, who schedule their kid to have, you know, 25 activities yeah. a night and go to every soccer practice and do all that. I, I think they probably are hurting their child in some way. And if they're not, I, I'm just going to say they're hurting them anyway. But yeah. I, yeah. I think you're much better off to take the, the laid back, easy approach. I think your kid will come back ahead. So this book is a great validator uh, to get rid of your parental guilt. You will feel like a great parent or at least a, a better parent than me. That sounds fantastic. And thanks again for joining us. We greatly appreciate it. Where can people find you? I am all over the place. If you type in James Breakwell um, on Twitter, I'm at Exploding Unicorn without the E. On Facebook, you can just type in uh, James Breakwell or Exploding Unicorn with the E. Uh, Instagram, uh, James Breakwell. And on YouTube, if you search for James Breakwell, I'm there as well. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was fun. You've been listening to Game Changers, the podcast series with Bristle Star. 